International Teacher Magazine presents Talking About the ITM Podcast with your host, Andy Hamden. Hello and welcome to this edition of the ITM Podcast. Uh, the topic in front of us today is Teaching and Learning 2022 and Beyond. And it's my great pleasure to welcome our panelists uh, this afternoon, uh, Mark Beverly who is the director of the Institute of Teaching and Learning at Seven Oaks School in the UK. Mark, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Mark, before we really get into some of the, the really important topics that are facing uh, the whole business of teaching and learning, uh, facing international schools and schools around the world, just tell us a little bit about the Teaching and Learning Institute at Seven Oaks, how it came to, to be set up and what it does. Sure. Um, so the the institute, as it currently ex uh, uh, you know works, has probably been around for I'd say three, just over three years. Um, before that, we had various kinds of iterations of a kind of thinking group in the school, um, particularly focused on the middle school and the middle school provision and middle school curriculum. Um, but the ITL, as it's known, um, has been formally set up for the last three years, and I suppose its remit really is to um, consider and to reflect on any and all aspect of research-informed teaching and learning practice with a view to implementing things within the school and improving student outcomes for the, the students here, uh, but equally to uh, look outside our walls and to uh, find and make connections with other schools and other institutions who are um, either interested in this similar kind of approach to um, to the way that research can be made use of, made sense of, um, or who even want to work you know, kind of collaboratively with us on, on particular projects or particular aspects. Um, I think that's been a big feature and increasingly so, I think, because Seven Oaks is a, is a successful, you know, re well-regarded school. And um, But I think we have as much to learn from other people uh, as we have to impart to others, perhaps. And uh, it's with that sort of sense of um, interest and enthusiasm for the exchange of ideas as a kind of reciprocal thing that, that we want the Institute to work. Um, so it's, yeah, it's predominantly a research focus, research based sort of think tank, um, which is a place in which staff at the school and, and actually interestingly, in, a, in an increasing sense, students even um, can engage in, uh, in research, whether it's primary research or secondary research um, with a view to improving their practice. But it's also increasingly becoming I think a, a sort of centerpiece for CPD in the school and a way to encourage reflection, you know, more generally amongst the staff body. So I'm, I'm, I'm picking up impact, impact on the way people teach and perhaps what they teach, impact on learning. And I, I'd like to really come back to that. What difference you've noticed over the past three years uh, that the Institute might have had uh, a bearing on collaboration and outreach these seem to be the themes uh that have uh, motivated you guys at seven oats to, to to start this and maintain it and keep it going yeah ab absolutely um and i think i mean the, the the work we've been doing has been quite varied in, in in size and in scale and in character um and so for example i suppose the biggest project with which we've been involved over the last two years has been a project with research schools international um, and we've been working with them in connection with Harvard uh, Graduate School uh, of uh, Human Flourishing um, to kind of reflect and think about, you know, what, what is, uh, in what way can schools promote notions of flourishing 
and in what way can students be encouraged to develop self-efficacy with regards to flourishing um, and in what ways can it be taught, can it be modelled and can it be evaluated. So we, we set up this kind of project with RSI and um, this involved a very large sort of data collection process um, and then a dissemination of the, of the findings to the whole staff um, and then out of that um, emerged a range of uh, interventions that people um, uh, sought to uh, were, were interested in doing. So things like um, uh, you know sm very small scale things like introducing kind of mini mindfulness practices in class or uh, strategies to um, help students who deal with who have uh, you know ex anxiety associated with perfectionism or, or examinations. Um, I've been doing some work on kind of reflective practices in particular year groups to encourage students to develop more self-awareness. So this has been quite a kind of large-scale um, sort of a, a thing which has manifested itself in small-scale interventions. And it's part, one hopes, of a, of a fairly kind of long-term, um, you know, reflection and interrogation of what we mean by flourishing in schools. Interesting. And it's come at an interesting time as well, hasn't it? Because I can't personally remember a time when there has been more discussion, more debate about those perennial questions, sure. what should we be teaching yep. and how we should be teaching it? I mean, those are at the centre of so many discussions. Why do you think the, uh, the debate is, is so intense uh, at the moment? I think, I mean, I think a lot of it has, has been born out of necessity um, in the sense that you know, certainly in the UK, there's a lot of evidence that shows actually in negative comparison with other countries in Europe, that students in the UK, for instance, suffer uh, marginally much greater, uh, have much greater problems in terms of managing anxiety, in terms of a feeling of purpose and a feeling of um, school having meaning for them. Um, so it's, it's and, and no, you know, increase in notions of, uh, uh, of students sort of uh, mental health problems and so on. Um, so there's, there's, you know, the, the causes of which, you know, are, are many and varied, but not, not, not the least is, you know, the whole impact of COVID and, and lockdown and all of those kinds of things. Um, I think there's, yeah, it's managed, it's, it's, it's born from that. It's born from, I think, an increasing kind of concern, certainly on the part of students in our school with um, notions of anxiety associated with um, examinations and performance in examinations and testing and all of those kinds of things. So you've noticed a difference in the course of your career, for example, about how these um, uh, feelings manifest themselves, yeah. how they're expressed. You yeah. definitely have. I have, uh, yeah. And even in a, a successful, very caring school like yeah. Sevenoaks, yeah. it's a real thing. I think absolutely. And I, I, think it, it, I think it's a real thing, but I also think it's, it's a symptom of the fact that we're actually talking about it. You know, in some respects, maybe it's hard to ascertain in, you know, in specific kind of quantitative terms that the numbers of students who are suffering more or less than than, than used to be the case, um, but uh, but I think it's certainly true that the more we sort of open up the discussion and the more that we invite and elicit sort of um, discussions on the subject, the more students will say about it, and the more we get to know about it, and the more we yeah. can therefore do about it. Yeah. You know? yes. um, so, so because uh, we're looking for evidence, we're finding evidence. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think it's. That's definitely the case for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And in terms of the discussions that go on in the staff room at Seven Oaks, um, what are people talking about in terms of what should be taught? Let's let's focus on the curriculum. What are the debates and the discussions going on there that get heckles up, that get sure. people excited, sure. and uh, you know are essentially healthy? Yeah. Well, we're, we're an IB school, obviously, and so we. 
um, we try to make sure that you know the, the ethos and the values of the school um, are, are reflective of what the IB stands for um, and what the IB represents. Um, and I think more, you know, by you know the vast majority of people express you know happiness and satisfaction and enjoyment and fulfilment in the IBPP program. Where we encounter in, you know the most amount of dissatisfaction is in the years just preceding the IB. Okay. Um, so the middle school and middle school provision and IGCSE courses have historically been the most problematic area um, for us. Um, whereas we have freedom in what we call our lower school, which is sort of grade six, seven, and eight, or yeah, for us it's yeah, year yeah. seven, eight, nine, um, yeah. to construct courses that that we you know that we're interested in. Um, so I think G- in the middle school years is where I suppose my attention has been the most focused. Not least because it's it's hugely you know formative and developmental and you know absolutely essential as students grow in their independence in their capacity to think for themselves and so on. Um, and I think that the kind of learning that many, not all, but many of the GCSE or IGCSE courses encourage, you know, is I wouldn't say the opposite, but it's certainly kind of contrary to the kind of characteristics, the dispositions, that the attitude towards learning we want students to to cultivate. I wonder if there's been any discussion uh, at Seven Oaks about um, just clearing away the IGCSE and saying, for example, MYP, come on yeah. in. Uh, over the years, uh, plenty of discussion. Um, we did look carefully at the MYP uh, quite a number of years ago now, actually, but for various reasons, it was decided that it wasn't the right fit. Um, and I, I, I wouldn't rule out us looking at it again, actually, as, as time goes on, because I think it's undergone a lot of changes. And I think there, there is... Um, you know, there are many aspects of the NYP that we probably could make much better use of than we felt we were in a position to the last time we looked at it. But I suppose what we've tried to do is construct uh, a middle school curriculum, which certainly, you know, of course, attends to the demands of the subjects that students study, but also wraps around those those subjects a more interesting, in a sense, NYP flavour. So um, we have what we call our middle school diploma, uh, which is um, uh, a sort of homegrown, uh, not assessed in any kind of external or high stakes way, but a homegrown way of recording what students are doing both within and outside the classroom that is of of importance to them. Um, and that embraces things like, you know, being involved in a, a, a tennis championship or a, acting in a play or other kinds of co-curriculum activities. Um, but also with a strong emphasis on what the, the nature of how they're learning in the classroom and trying to encourage on their part, I suppose, a sense of self-reflection on, on themselves and on their relationships with others and the relationship with their learning to try to encourage, you know, metacognitive approaches, thinking about learning. And students go through a kind of learning program which asks them to reflect on different aspects of themselves in these different areas um, and they record and you know complete activities um, which will fundamentally kind of reveal um, and develop characteristics associated with self-awareness. It's, it's, it's an interesting question. Uh, perhaps, do you think things would change at diploma level if uh, you introduced the MYP and asked teachers to teach in a different way in which perhaps a metacognitive practice was was more uh, explicitly recognised as you go through? I think so, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's... And I, I think we have seen uh, evidence that... I mean, as we say, I'm, as I say, I'm not doing, we don't do NYP, but we certainly have seen evidence of students being 
um, in their mindset and in their approach to learning, the way they think about learning, much better prepared for the IB over the last two to three years for having gone about activities and um, encouraged to think about learning in the way that we want them to and to slightly kind of counter what can happen, which is, you know, essentially teaching to the test and learning for the test and, and that being the way in which they conceive uh, of those years. Um, we're quite fortunate, in addition to the diploma, of having our own, what we call our critical, well, we call them our core critical thinking courses. And these are courses that run right from year seven through to year 11, um, in which, and, and they're not assessed, but they are um, courses in which students kind of explore a range of religious, philosophical, sociological, cultural ideas and um, uh, attitudes and uh, events in the world. Um, and apply or learn and then apply critical thinking skills to them. So so that's, and it's twofold really. One is we want the students to kind of learn a lot of things that the courses, that their GCSE courses wouldn't teach them otherwise, but also to encourage them to think about, you know, learning in a way that's critical and the way that's independent in a way that's, you know, healthily sceptical um, so that then they're prepared, obviously for TOK, the sixth form, but also for a, a more informed way of thinking about learning in the IB and then beyond. Do you find they are able to bring that to bear, that, that, that experience? Do you think they can bring that to bear, uh, for example, when they come to make their university applications? Do you think they impress because they have learned uh, these thinking styles? Absolutely. I think, I think undoubtedly, you know, and I think often when, well, we have direct evidence from universities that, that tell us um, how pleased they are with the attitudes and the competencies that IB students in general display, whether that's their Seven Oaks or whether they're more general. Um, but also we, we, uh, we do have students who, you know, come back as they, as they do, certainly in their kind of first couple of years once they've left the school and they tell us about the things that actually made a difference. And it's often the things that they, they, they weren't aware of at the time as being very profound or significant. You know, TOK is an obvious example where students kind of sometimes can be a bit cynical and sometimes, you know, what's the point and so on. And, and think about it in, in less positive terms. But actually, when they come when they um, when they come back, they often say that's the course. And then for us, the courses that precede it that have made a big difference to their ability to think for themselves. Um, so it's powerful. If we're looking at the way that teachers teach at Seven Oaks, what really excites you about the style of teaching that you are encouraging and you want to see at Seven Oaks? It's gosh, I mean that's. <laughs> I think, I think, I mean, that's a very big question. And of course, enormous yeah. variety uh, is, uh, is, is reflected in the practices that go on in each classroom. I think, you know, teachers here are very motivated by their subject. They're very highly skilled and highly knowledgeable people about their subject. And that sort of sense of passion and that sense of curiosity and the sense of engagement in learning, um, you know, because it's of interest in and of itself is, I would say, a shared characteristic of all, well, maybe not all, but the vast majority of teachers. In other words, not just teaching to the exam and teaching to the test, but teaching the subject for mastery, you know, and, and for um, engagement and for the sense of curiosity that it inspires. I think people are, I mean, one of the big, I suppose, features of what we've been looking at has, has been, you know, obviously looking at what sci cognitive science can tell us and what educational research can tell us about good practice. And people are increasingly mindful of of understanding and processing, you know, what we now know about memory, what we know, now know about, you know, cognitive overload, what we now know about schema and retrieval practice and so on. Um, and I think the, uh, the, the excitement or the, not excitement perhaps, but the, the willingness of teachers to embrace and to consider 
you know, what is now known to work, but then apply it within their own subject context has, has been significant. I was very interested in the article written by James Tate that we published, your head of physics, right. uh, in ITM uh, just this month. And do you find? And he was talking about cognitive overload. He was talking about the limits to working memory that you've got to bear in mind as you prepare your teaching uh, and and you expect them to learn in certain ways. Someone like James writing an article like that, expressing themselves, and no doubt in debate as well. Has that had an influence on his peers uh, as they listen to each other and, and learn from each other uh, as a result of that kind of expression? I, I, I think uh, absolutely. I mean, informally, one hopes that the, the articles that we write and the other, as it were, manifestations of the ITL in the school do have weight and do have currency. So along with those articles, for example, we have... Um, what we call our ITL takeaways. And so every two weeks, there's a sort of lunchtime session and staff can bring their lunch and somebody will just sort of present for 10 or 15 minutes on a particular topic that's of interest, usually, if not always, with some kind of research basis. Um, and then we have discussions about it. So there's quite a lot of kind of informal sharing and, and in some senses, more formal sharing of ideas. Um, but I think what I've been of the mind to make it, to, you know, what I've, what I've been mindful of over the last year has been that you can't assume that just because certain meetings are happening or certain articles are being read or whatever, that, that it's more widely understood or engaged with. So we've tried to um, implement or to, to reconsider what we mean by professional learning in the school and to take greater account of, you know, I mean, for me, the idea that it happens on kind of three fairly distinct levels from the whole school kind of approach to professional learning to teams and departments working on department or curriculum focused learning um, or teaching, and then also individuals. And it's on the individual level, I think, that is most interesting because typically, I think, and that's true of Seven Oaks, I think over the years, people tend to think of training or learning in this way as being about going on a course or, you know, signing up for some something or other in that way. And it's about something that's done to you. And I feel that, um, you know, if professional learning is going to have impact, it has to be something that you choose to you know, you, you have agency over it, you have control over it, and you, you buy into it because you're interested in it, because you want to know more about it. And it happens over time, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's right. I mean, I think so we've, we've tried to tie that, that we've tried to, move, I've encouraged, as it were, the, the philosophy or the ethos of the school to move away from, from that as being, um, you know, a desirable thing to being an expectation of all members of staff so that as part of appraisal, members of staff will kind of you know, nominate particular areas of teaching or learning they're interested in. Um, we get that information from them at the end of an academic year. We are then planning to put people into what we're calling loosely kind of learning communities. Um, and then in the, you know, who have, these will be formed of people who have similar interests or similar um, areas of, of interest. And, and then the brief to them will be, you know, you've got a year to reflect with each other on these particular things and a year to try and evaluate the impact of what you're interested in. And so what, are, what were the outcomes of discussions like that? That's an interesting one. Uh, you, you've put these learning communities together, these professional communities together. How do you gauge uh, what's happened uh, and the, uh, the products? It would be a matter of, I mean, this is a fairly new thing for us, so we haven't actually sort of established it yet. With a September is our kind of launch, if you like. Oh, um, I see. But the expectation will be that people will 
uh, be given, uh, uh, well, will be expected to produce some kind of outcome at the end, which could be in the form of a written paper for our for our learning journal Innovate. It could be a presentation either to the whole staff or to the department. Um, it could be a presentation of what we call our ITL takeaways, but some kind of outcome is you know, would be expected of people. And part of that outcome uh, and part of that sort of uh, response would be, you know, to give some indication of how successful or otherwise a particular intervention has been, um, or at least a description at, at the very least of what they've been doing and why they've been doing it. So one of the things I've been, you know, again, we, it's uh, many schools, I think, are more advanced than us in this area. But when it comes to the lesson observations and kind of learning through mutual lesson observations, I think we tend to, in this school, associate lesson observation with kind of performance appraisal and that kind of thing. When I think it's it's something which should be much more meaningfully tied to kind of formative thinking about your practice and about students' practice in the classroom. So as part of a learning community, it might be that, you know, two or three teachers decide that they're going to, you know, uh, watch each other's lessons, uh, say, you know, two or three times during the course of a year with a particular focus and then try out some interventions and then on a very small scale discuss the outcomes. It's it's interesting, isn't it? I'd be very interested to see what those outcomes might be. Yeah, uh, might sure. be a subject of another article. Uh, Absolutely. But let me ask uh, perhaps a, a slightly difficult question. Um, if you were considering the style of teaching at Seven Oaks, uh, and bearing in mind what you've said about mental health and well-being and so on, would you consider teaching uh, to be fundamentally subject-centred or, or student-centred? Uh, good question. Um, and I suppose, yeah, the answer is inevitably, I suppose, somewhere in, in the middle. Um, I think, you know, teaching here does recognise um, what we now know to be effective um, in terms of, you know, what we know about instructional coaching, what we know about um uh, you know, what we know about what doesn't work with regards to student-centred learning and group work and project-based learning and some of these more innovative, perhaps, ways of thinking about learning that have cropped up over the last sort of, 10 to 20 years. And I think that people are mindful of some of the difficulties and the challenges associated with what we call student-centred learning. But that being said, absolutely, there's a sense of, you know, um, wanting, uh, encouraging teachers and teachers encouraging students to develop you know, interest, curiosity, love of, uh, and enthusiasm for subjects on, on their own. So, we, for example, we've just, in fact, last week, we had a, our end of year, it was our last week, and we call it our enrichment week, and all year 10 students were uh, taken through a program um, of uh, different kinds of talks through over the course of three days, out of which um, w w the expectation was that out of which they would produce an independent project that was about a particular thing in which they were interested. And I think sometimes project-based learning has a bad name because it's often just something that's sort of set up and students are just sort of left to get on with it on their own. Um, what we tried to do was sort of talk about the philosophy of it, talk to students about what research actually is and how research works. And then we also talked to them about curating knowledge and how you actually present knowledge and how you, how you, um, you know, communicate what you're interested in, in a way that um, is mindful of the audience. And, and through these different talks and different kind of uh, and, and the kind of structure that we gave to the to the, the three or four days, we found that students did some fantastic, really awe-inspiring kind of work that was a chance for them to really show off what they were interested in and to develop things for themselves. I'd be interested to see how that develops. Yes, and, and just to put you on the spot as we as we wrap up this conversation, um, 
bearing in mind where you are as a school and what you've been trying to do at the Institute of, uh, of Teaching and Learning, in the next year or so, what would you like to see more of at Seven Oaks? And perhaps what would you like to see less of at Seven Oaks? I certainly think more, well, a big thing that we're interested in developing next year is what we're calling a kind of learning programme. Um, I don't mean study skills. I'm not even sure if I mean learning skills, but I mean talking to the students about learning and developing an understanding of how the science of learning works and in teaching students explicitly and then modelling for students, you know, examples of, of how learning can best operate. So with that, whether that's to do with, you know, engaging in regular retrieval practice or whether it's engaging in, you know, interleaved learning or whether it's to do with spacing learning out over time and so on to, to sort of model well, to talk to the students in a kind of explicit metacognitive way, what we know about the science of learning to model it in our own teaching, but then um, invite students to reflect for themselves on, on the on the power of it and the way in which it works. So we've got this sort of learning community or um, of, stu uh, of stu made up of students, a, a learning society, education society that we're setting up, which will be about students talking to us as much as amongst each other about what they find effective. So that's what you'd like more of. What would you like to see less of in classrooms? Um, I suppose less of would be the association of um, testing with performance. Um, and I think, you know, the, the, the idea of developing meaningfully what we mean, what we now, what we know we mean, what, what should be the case in terms of formative assessment, that, that, the, that the, the attempts to kind of describe and develop the narrative associated with tests as being about kind of, uh, as I said, self-efficacy and, and self-regulation and, and learning to learn as opposed to marking and performance and grades. Um, and I think there's still that sort of tension in the school between what is the function of and what's the point of internal assessments. And my view is very much of the of the formative assessment side and that we should, I think fundamentally what I mean by that is process a lot more uh, and reflect a lot more on what we mean and what we do when we, when we, when we assess students in this way. Yes, you, you've raised the whole issue of assessment and how we assess and whether the tail wags the dog sure. but i have to say that's got to be another story mark <laughs> thank you so much for joining us it's been an absolute pleasure. pleasure and it's been wonderful to learn more about what's going on at seven oaks have a great uh, vacation and uh, looking forward to keeping in touch with itm and seven oaks in the coming year thanks very much indeed thanks for having me i've enjoyed it thank you for joining us for this episode of talking about the itm podcast visit conciliumeducation.com Copyright 2022 Produced by J. Lasky Voices Providing sound solutions for your voiceover needs. jlaskyvoices.com